This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Daniel chapter 3. I'll recap the story real briefly so we don't take a lot of time reading. Nebuchadnezzar has created a statue. And he's decreed that everybody in the kingdom has to worship and fall down before that statue. I think it was three times a day he would cause the music to play and, and found out that these three Hebrew captives that have grown up in his court aren't doing it. And he says, okay, here's how it's going to be. If you don't fall down and worship, I'm going to throw you in the midst of the fiery furnace. Now, what's going to happen to you then? Who can possibly deliver you from that? Notice how the men answer. These three guys answer and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, verse 16, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they said, we don't even have to group up together about this. We don't have to pray. We don't have to decide and, and, and have a conference. We are not careful how to answer you in this matter. In other words, for us, there's only one answer. We've already decided what that is. It's the reason why we didn't worship your statues to begin with. Here's how it works. If it be so, O King, O our God, who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now remember, that was his question. He said, if you don't worship the image next time you hear the music, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace and who's going to help you then? They said, well, we've already got this figured out. If it be so, in other words, the if it be so is a reversal back upon the king's responsibility. The king tries to put it on them. The king says, now here's, you've got a choice. This is up to you. If you worship when you hear the music play, everything will be fine. But if you don't, then I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Your choice. Now, as far as the king's concerned, the question is, are you going to worship the image or not? As far as the three guys are concerned, the only question is, are you going to throw us in the furnace or not? Because we're not worshiping your image. If it be so, our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. He'll deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, now most translations or most teachings are about if God doesn't deliver us. Now, think about how stupid this would be for the next statement that they make. If, if not, if God doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to worship your image. Seriously? You know, if they're burned up in the midst of the fiery furnace, is worshiping the image an issue anymore? Now, if not has nothing to do with if God doesn't deliver us. In fact, they just said in verse 17, he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. They're making a declaration of faith. He will deliver us. But if not, the if not is not what God does. The if not is about what Nebuchadnezzar the king does. If not, meaning if you don't throw us in, we're still not worshiping your image. Then let me prove it to you. What they've done is challenged his authority. They've challenged him as the most powerful king on the, place, on the face of the earth. You're trying to put it on us whether or not we're going to worship? Well, that's already settled. The only question is whether or not you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace. If you do throw us in the fiery furnace, God will deliver us out of your hand. When they say that, that's when Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage. Notice verse, eight, uh, verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. One translation says out of control with rage. And the form of his visage, in other words, his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore, he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. One, uh, uh, it's a part of the Apocrypha, but it says he caused the fire, the flames to, to, uh, uh, to fly up 
49 cubits above the top of the furnace. Now, that would be about 150 feet. So we're talking about pretty hot. We know that it was hot enough to kill the men, the strongest one of his warriors, his soldiers, that just came to the door to throw them in. So we're talking about a significant fire. Some people depict it otherwise. But it was some kind of fire. Nebuchadnezzar was so mad, he wanted to make sure nobody can escape this fire. Now I'm going to pick up in verse 23. And I'm going to read from the Septuagint because it brings out some things that the, the King James leaves out. Then these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace and walked in the midst of the flame, singing praises to God and blessing the Lord. And Nebuchadnezzar heard them singing praises. And he wondered and rose up in haste and said to his nobles, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they said unto the king, Oh, yes, O king. And the king said, But I see four men loose and walking in the midst of the fire, and there has no harm happened to them, and the appearance of the fourth is like the Son of God. Again, the Apocrypha brings out something about this, uh, uh, this song that they sang. And a part of the song was he turned the, the, uh, the flames into a moist wind that blew around them as they walked through the fire. Let me ask you a question. Why in the world would God do something like this? We know other cases where people and Christians, good people have, have died in fires and, and stuff like that. Why would God do something like this for them? Well, if you'll notice, they're exercising their authority. They're not asking God, what do we do about this? They're not saying, Lord, if we, if we go into that fire, will you be with, there with us? Will you help us? They're not timid about it at all. They're standing before the king, the representative of Satan on the earth. The glory of the kingdoms belongs to Satan. Satan's behind this guy too. He says, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. If you throw us in, our God is able to deliver us out of your hand. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He will. What would cause these guys to say that? I know so many Christians that would have backed up and said, well, we're, we're hoping for the best, but, you know, God loves martyrs. These guys aren't willing to be martyrs. They could have been. The Bible says martyrs have obtained a better resurrection. They weren't willing to be one. They said, he will deliver us. How in the world could they know that God had come through for them and something like that? Because they knew who they were. They knew that they had kept the, the word of God. They're the ones along with Daniel. These three along with Daniel were the ones that wouldn't eat the king's meat when they were first brought into captivity. They're the ones that have made a pattern of their lives of obedience to the word. And that obedience always counted under the old covenant. In the Old Testament, it always counted as righteousness. They know they have rights because of their right standing, which is the right standing with God, which is what righteousness means. It means right standing with God. Yeah, Satan is the God of this world, but he's not the God of them, even under the old covenant. Now turn with me over to the first, uh, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I want you to see two verses of Scripture here before we close. Romans chapter 5 and James chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Here is what Paul said as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost. Now remember, and again, we're, we're running quickly over some things that we covered in a little bit more detail 
in a little bit more detail last Sunday morning. You remember when uh, in John chapter 3 when uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus? Nicodemus says, good master, we know, or it calls him rabbi, teacher. We know that you've come from God because no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. Jesus responds and says, except thou be born again, thou cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we've said before, some people think that Jesus changed the subject. Some people that, that, that just preach salvation and that's their, their message and you know, evangelism is, is really the only thing that they, that they focus on. And nothing wrong with that. But some people will say that come from that perspective that Jesus got down to what was important. Well, I agree with that, but he didn't change the subject to get there. Jesus is very simply saying, Nicodemus, I understand that miracles have drawn you. Miracles are a part of the kingdom of God, and you can't enter the kingdom of God without being born again. Now, folks, what is being born again about? Being born again, we can use all kinds of different phrases, and I think a lot of times we confuse people because of the phrases that we use. Being born again is about making Jesus the Lord of your life. That's certainly true. Being born again is about praying the prayer of salvation. That's certainly true. But ultimately, it comes down to this from God's point of view. Being born again is being made righteous. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's what the sacrifice of Jesus is all about. It's about you and I being made righteous. Not having righteousness of the Old Testament through obedience, it's counted as something, it's counted as righteousness for us, but being made, a change of nature. In other words, it's a reversal of the fall of Adam. It's a reversal of the spiritual condition, the spiritual nature that occurred because Adam fell. Except you be born again, except you be made righteous, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus is not saying, look, forget about the miracles. Being born again is the key. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you want to see miracles? It's about being made righteous. Jesus performed miracles on the earth because he was a righteous man, anointed of the Holy Ghost. These men in the Old Testament, these things that we've identified, just in the few stories that we talked about, and we've left out hundreds, hundreds of other examples where people exercised authority, even though they were not righteous in nature, but because of their obedience to the word, it was counted to them for righteousness, and God shared his power with them. They exercised dominion over the God of this world to overcome the works of the enemy. Why? Because each one stood in a place where they were operating in obedience to God's word to accomplish what God had for them to do. That's what Jesus did, folks. Jesus was a righteous man. He wasn't born into sin, so he didn't need righteousness counted unto him. He was a righteous man, anointed of the Holy Ghost. We said before, Jesus did his first miracle only after he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. Baptized by John in the Jordan River and the Holy Ghost descended on him in, his bodily shape, in bodily shape as a dove. But Jesus has, has had to have some kind of experience before then where that righteousness had, exer- had been the, the foundation of the exercise of dominion. We know that because of the first miracle that he did perform was the changing of the, turning of the water into wine in Cana of Galilee, the wedding feast at Cana. And his mothers tell the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, if Jesus has not exercised some dominion, if there's not been some benefit of his righteousness, even while he was a young man, before he was ever anointed of the Holy Ghost, why is his mother so intent on saying, follow his instructions? And that's before he's ever been anointed of the Holy Ghost. Or, or, well, her experience with, with that has been before he was anointed of the Holy Ghost. She says it after he's been anointed of the Holy Ghost. 
We don't have any record that she knows that. We don't have any record that she was there in the party when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. We don't know. We don't know what she knows yet. He seems to be kind of upset with her because she seems to be pushing him into something he says, I may not be ready for yet. He says, woman, what have I to do with thee? Thine hour has not yet come. Really? Well, you did a pretty good job of turning the water into wine, Jesus. Can't wait to see what happens when your hour is come. So there seems to be a little bit of trepidation here on the first miracle. Yet her opinion, her position is is what he says works, so do whatever he says. Why? Because he was a righteous man. Now that he's anointed of the Holy Ghost, all bets are off. He's got the power of God, as the Scripture says, the spirit without measure. Why? Because now he's got, as a righteous man, he is eligible for the power of God to do the work that God has for him to do. He's righteous in nature, and he's anointed for the work. Did you find Romans 5 yet? Well, if not, look on with your neighbor because we don't can't take any more time here. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if, since literally, by one man's offense, Adam's offense, Adam's sin in the garden. For if, or since by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Death reigned upon all mankind because of Adam's singular sin. Much more. Everybody say much more. I don't know if you've been made aware of it, folks, but the much mores in the Bible are really good. Much more. They which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Now, folks, the abundance of grace can be summarized very simply as this, the sacrifice of Jesus. Everything God did for you, he did through Jesus. Not true in the old covenant because they had a promise of the work to come. But for us, looking back to the cross, the abundance of grace, everything God has done for us, every kindness God has shown to us is through the finished work of Jesus. So the abundance of grace is the sacrifice or the finished work of Jesus. And notice what it brings about, what it results in, the gift of righteousness. Now notice what that righteousness, as, as from the perspective or the point of view of the Holy Ghost, who inspired Paul to write this. Look at what the Holy Ghost says righteousness is supposed to produce in you. Dominion. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Since we know 
that by Adam's sin, death passed upon all men. In other words, Adam's sin made Satan the God of this age, not the God of you, not even the God of the whole world, not even the God of everything in the world, but the God of this age. The Bible says that the earth is groaning and travailing, waiting for the manifestations of the sons of God. In other words, another way to say that is the earth is, is groaning and travailing, waiting for the right people to take control again. Well, who are the right people? The sons of God. Since we know that Adam fell and his fall delivered dominion over this age, the age of man, over this age unto Satan, much more true is it that those who are made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus shall reign in life. Notice it doesn't say reign in heaven. It's talking about this life. Shall reign, Amplified says, reign as kings in this life by one Jesus Christ. Turn me over to James chapter 5. We'll close with this. Let's start reading in verse uh, 13 to get the context of what's being said is any among you afflicted the word afflicted means test trials or troubles any anybody going through a hard place hard time in life here's what to do let him pray now he's writing to the church he's writing to righteous people he's writing to people that are born again for the most part spirit built too i would imagine so he says is any among you afflicted you're going through a hard time here's what you do about it pray is anybody merry things are going good for any of you let him sing psalms be sure and rejoice and thank God for the good things that are happening. Is any sick among you? Verse 14, let him call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith, not the oil, not the elders, but the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, please notice verse 16. Confess your faults. The word faults is the word sins, things that you've got between one another. He's not talking about confession like Catholics do. He's saying if you've got anything between you and somebody else, then go fix that. Go clear that up. Confess your faults one for another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The context that he's saying this is unforgiveness between you and somebody else will hinder your healing. Fix that. It's not worth holding a grudge and being sick. Can you see that? Confess your faults, literally sins, one for, to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. I believe verse 17 should start with this. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Because that's not just true where healing is concerned. It's true where everything is concerned. Yeah, and we read that and so many times the devil sitting on your shoulder and says, if you could just find a righteous man. Well, he gave you an example of one, a righteous man like this. Elias, that's Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Thank God Elijah was a righteous man. Now, what do we know about Elijah? Well, we don't know where he came from. First Kings chapter 17, verse 1 starts off and says, and Elijah the Tishbite showed up and says, it's not going to rain again until I say so. I don't even know what a Tishbite is, but Elijah was one of them. He shows up out of nowhere. 
We don't know his heritage. We don't know where he came from. We don't know what training or experience or practice he's had at being a prophet. He just shows up and says, it's not going to rain till I say so. I like this. And it tells us about the, uh, the test that he had. The, there was uh, Baal worship was big in the days of Ahab and Jezebel who were the rulers of, of the kings of Israel. And he finally gets tired of it and he says, okay, let's have a contest. If Baal's Baal, let's serve him and forget about God. But if God's God, let's forget about Baal and serve him, serve God. So he calls for a contest on, the mountain, on, the, on Mount Carmel. He says, all right, the God that answers by fire will be God. No way to fake that, is there? So he gives the prophets of Baal their first choice. There's, there's 450 of them. I don't know how many of them are doing the, the, the work, but there's 450 of, the, of, uh, of men that are counted as prophets of Baal that are around there or present for the, the contest. So the lead prophets, I guess, lead priests, whatever they were, they start doing all kinds of crazy things. They start jumping up and down on the altar. They start cutting themselves with stones. Folks, if you read some of the Old Testament, you can see where some of the goofy stuff that happens with young people nowadays come from. They're doing all kinds of things. Finally, after a while, Elijah starts making fun of them. He said, well, maybe your God's asleep. Finally, he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Gives them every opportunity. After several hours of this stuff, he finally says, all right, that's it. You've had your chance. So then he makes it tough. He says, all right, here's what I want to do. Now, remember, it hadn't rained for three years. They're in the midst of the worst drought that the nation has ever known. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Rebuild the altar, put the wood back in place where they jumped all around it and messed things up. He said, I want you to dig a trench around the altar. He said, now I want you to soak the, soak the, the altar and the wood and the sacrifice with water. Three great big old giant barrels of, of water. And the water soaked the, the, the sacrifice, soaked the wood, ran down from the altar and filled the trench around it. And then Elijah just simply prays a simple prayer. He said, now here's, here's what a righteous man looks like. He said, God in heaven, I want you to do three things. I want you to prove that you're the most high God, number one. I want you to prove, number two, that I'm your servant. And number three, I want you to prove that I did all these things at your word. Stands up from his prayer and fire falls from heaven consumes the sacrifice, burns the wood up, vaporizes the rocks and the water around it. And everybody's standing there looking and says, okay, I think the contest is over. That's when Elijah, now it doesn't say he has it done. The Bible says Elijah took a sword and killed 450 of those prophets of Baal, all, all, all 450 of them. There were some advantages of being ministers in the old covenant. <laughs> Once people were identified clearly, you could take care of things as you need to. Now, some people would say, wow, how can it get any better than that? Here's Elijah, a great man of faith and power. He's, done, he's heard from heaven. He's done these things at the direction of the Lord. He's proven that God is God to the whole nation of Israel. But then word comes back to Queen Jezebel, who's not there, that Elijah has killed all 450 of her prophets because worshiping Baal turned out to be the prophets finding out from, a, from the queen what she wanted them to tell the people, and they'd do so. So she says, 
I'm going to do the same thing to Elijah this t- by this time tomorrow. In other words, I'm going to cut Elijah's head off just like he cut off the heads of my prophets. Elijah, this great man of faith and power who's just won this great contest, maybe the greatest contest between God and some other God, some other false God or image or whatever in the history of the world, he hears that and he goes running up into the mountains. He sits down under a tree and says, oh God, I don't know why you've let this happen to me. All I've done is served you. Remember in in James chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. That means emotions. That means he had the same feelings about stuff as you have. And so when Elijah was threatened, now the power of God, the anointing of God's not on him anymore. It was on him for the contest. Now it's not on him. Folks, you need to understand something. Just as Jesus was righteous by nature, he was anointed to do a work. Now that anointing wasn't always present. It wasn't always present on Jesus. It's not always present on somebody nowadays. Nobody could stand the anointing of God upon them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not the way it works. That's why there are greater anointings at some times and lesser anointing at other times. It's just, the, it's just the way that God determines it. It's not up to the individual. Now Elijah is not anointed. He's not anointed to run up into the mountains fleeing from Jezebel. We'd like to think that we in Elijah's place would walk into the king's court and said, who's going to kill me? But apparently he knew that that's not how it worked or else he would have done just that. So he goes running up into the mountains. He hadn't heard God say anything about escaping Jezebel. So he takes off. He lights out for the hills. He starts complaining. He says, I'm the only one left. Everybody's backslid but me. God reveals to him that that's not the case. And then he speaks to him through a still small voice. Now, let me ask you a question. If a guy is that, uh, well, let me, let, me, let me just come right out and say it. Elijah, when he's running from Jezebel, I can relate to some of that. When he lets his emotions get the better of him, and now he's not standing up as the great man of faith and power, he reminds me a lot of me and you. The point is simply this, folks. It's about the righteousness, which is the foundation for the dominion that God has given us. What do you think the church would be like if we knew that those that receive the gift of righteousness shall reign as kings in this life? Folks, this would be a different world. The devil would still be running rampant. Sin would still be in in vogue. But the church would be a different animal. Church would be a place where people ran to instead of trying to run from. For since by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Much more. They that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life as kings through one Jesus Christ. When Jesus exercised authority on the earth, he did not do it as the Son of God. The Bible says that he laid aside his heavenly power and glory. Well, then how did he exercise that authority? It was because he was a righteous man operating under the law. Our righteousness, obtained by the sacrifice of Jesus, gives us the same authority and even greater authority in his name. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
But when God made Adam and Eve, the rulers of this world put all the, the works of his hands, all the created works of God's hands under their dominion, under their authority. Let me ask you a question. Why did they have it? But why not some other created being? Because they're not made in God's image or likeness. In other words, they're not made in God's class of being. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.